What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Daily Energy News Beat Stand Up here on this gorgeous Thursday, May 4th, 2023. As always, I'm your humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, coming to you from an undisclosed location here in Dallas, Texas, joined by the executive producer of the show, the purveyor of the show, and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com, Stuart Turley. My man, how we doing today? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. The Fed's going crazy. I mean, we have an absolutely wild show. I mean, Jerome Powell set the markets off, oils down to $67. I barely crawled myself up to the desk to record this show. But like the good hosts that we are, we are here delivering the news. I mean, absolutely stacked show, guys. First first article we've got on the menu is Ford loses nearly $60,000 for every electric vehicle. <laughs> I mean, this, this just, as Stu's cracking up, it's my sentiment. I'm very interested to see um, what this, what this looked like. And, and trust me, they, they, they published some results that are not good um, for their internal metrics there. Next up peak U S shale to raise prices at the pump. This is a pretty interesting mix on. Yes, we are producing more oil and gas, but that doesn't necessarily mean that prices are going to go down, which is somewhat counterintuitive. You'd think the more oil we produce, the lower prices would go. Not necessarily true. So Stu will break down what that means for you with the pump. Next up, more and more Americans don't want electric cars. I'm pretty sure that comes as a shock to nobody who listens to this podcast, but now we've got some physical data. Stu will cover that. And then finally, in the news segment, Texas wind farm affects land temperature. Um, it's, you know... I, I think the unintended consequences of wind and solar are, are we're only going to find out more and more as as we go on. But I'm, I if, if this is a side effect, it's just a little bit hotter around the wind farm. I'll be OK, but I'm going to let Stu try to convince me. Otherwise, I'm going to take over, guys. We have a lot to talk about in the finance section. Um, Fed decided to raise their um, as expected, decided to raise their guidance from five percent uh, to five and a quarter percentage points. That just caused a plethora of things in the market. Oil and tank, as I mentioned, currently trading somewhere around 67, 16 as we start the show off here at about 615. Natural gas took a little bit of hit, even though it's not necessarily affected overall markets. Only were affected, um, you know, less than what you would have thought, only down about a, a full percentage point. But I think the key is going forward, what Jerome Powell said. Um, we've also got Callan Petroleum doing a little um divestiture acquisition combo move that which we'll cover the EIA also dropped a soup uh dropped crude oil inventories and a really interesting article um around Haynesville production we will cover all that and a bag of chips coming up guys but first remember all of the stories you are about to hear are courtesy world's greatest website www.energynewsbeat.com the best place for all your oil and gas news Stu does a great job of curating that website to make sure that all of the top stories are there. It's great. I come down to sit to the show to start doing my research and I start pinging Stu. Hey, he got this story. You got this story. And every single story he's got on the website, guys. So it's the best place for all you oil and gas news. The numbers are going crazy right now. We appreciate all of our, everybody who's checking out the website. I mean, Stu sends me these, these numbers. And I honestly don't believe him. We appreciate every one of you. Dashboard.energynewsbeat.com. It's our data and news combo. Get it while you still can. You never know where that might go, a.k.a. behind a paywall. I'm out of breath, though, Stu. Where do you want to begin? Hey, let's start at uh, Ford loses nearly $60,000 
for every electric vehicle sold. Is that a good business sustainable model? No, that doesn't add up. Uh, no. I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I was like the car maker was on a roll at the time. Let's see here. Uh, it was planning on starting a production of the F-150 Lightning, the electric version of the iconic best-selling 150. Uh, you and I have already talked about this. Uh, let me get into the losses here. It appears that the Ford Model E recorded a loss before interest and taxes of $700 million. This is $100 million more than the fourth quarter of 2022. The margins are also in the red. The EBIT earnings before interest and taxes, uh, which allows investors to assess the true cost of the activity, is negative 102.1%. And this is more than twice as much as fourth quarter in 2022, in which the EBIT margin was negative 40%. Um, on the revenue side, it amounted to $700 million for the first three months of the year. It's less than half of the $1.6 billion in revenue generated by the Ford Model E in the last quarter of 2022. We're seeing some real trends there, Michael. People are not wanting to buy electric. Yeah, I mean they, they they specifically mention you know one of the 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 third headlines here is gas cars are fine. I mean they're not necessarily seeing a dip in sales across their non electric fleet, which I think is is interesting and probably feeds into what you know really the other two stories you've got lined up, which is specifically more and more Americans don't want electric cars, which has been a theme of this earnings season. I mean, remember we've just gone through a hundred and fifty eight companies release their earnings. More are coming on the way. We're being able to dive in and really in a full year of all of these companies doing EVs, been able to sort of look behind the glass and see a little bit into their balance right. sheet. It's not good. No. And uh, Siemens uh, lost $1.7 billion in their wind farm division. Yeah. I want oh. Okay. I think and this is just my personal opinion on this before I go to the next story, which is related to this story. And that is the infrastructure bill uh, actually, I think, has caused part of the problem, Michael, from the standpoint that uh, the Biden administration goes, OK, look, tax credits. No tax credits. No, you get no you get no tax credits for you. Uh, I mean, they're just like they're, they're the, the infrastructure bill or the Inflation Reduction Act. Both of them are porculous, but it was. The, yeah, because I was going to say there was the porculous bill. Was before the Inflation Reduction Act. The Inflation Reduction Act had the uh, big tax savings in the car, and, and wasn't the wasn't the porculous bills what it was? It's dubbed now, but wasn't it called like Build Back Better? Or oh something? yeah, like there was yeah, some yeah, it, weird it, phrase. It, 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 you know, you just can't buy this kind of entertainment. Next story here, man. More and more Americans don't want electric cars. Um, Battery power cars seem like the next best thing, but growing Americans aren't ready to give up internal combustion. We live in too big of an area, Michael. I, I travel from state to state. Top line metrics on overall EV market share, availability, affordability have been on a long term upward trend. The market research firm said, but beneath those headline numbers, we are starting to see some consumer behaviors that suggest a possible bifurcation of the automotive um, marketplace. Let me put it to you this way. People are going to be able to have transportation 
in everywhere but California and New York. If you want to live and own a car, you can be anywhere in the U.S. except in those cities or even Chicago. I mean, that's just the way that they're planning on doing it, Michael. Yeah, I think there's there's a few hurdles specifically on like the user acceptance side that I think this article points out. One, respondents in this you know survey were very concerned about their performance in extreme temperatures. I think that's the first thing. Like you know, and no one in Colorado is people. In Colorado, yes, they have a Tesla, but they're not taking it to the mountains. No, and that's their second car. Yes, exactly. It's like EVs are people's second car. The when the discussion shifts from second car to primary car, you maybe have you might have me, but I that's but that's a long way away. This is an interesting thing. Obviously, the the, the majority of boomers and pre-boomers aren't considering EVs. That's clear by these stats. This is interesting. Thirty-three percent of Gen Z told this survey that they were either somewhat unlikely or very unlikely. Oh, that, that's a that's not an insignificant portion of the population. No, Gen, no less. I was surprised by that number, but I'll tell you what, I mean, you sit back and take a look at me. Uh, why? Cause I can buy a $15,000 used car and be just as happy and think about the difference between that. That buys a lot of gas. $80,000 buys a lot of gasoline. Yeah. I mean, me and you have talked about this. It would be fun to get corporate podcast Teslas, but that's a second vehicle. That goes back to your original comment. It's a second vehicle in most applications. There are very few applications, in my opinion, unless right. you live in like a dry climate, like Cal- like Southern California, and you don't necessarily have a long commute, is going to probably be, you could be your primary car. But for the vast majority of Americans, it can't right. happen. What's next? Well, uh, it looks like Elon's trying to call into the show. So Sweet. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's get a car. All right, let's go to the next one. And it is Peak U.S. Shale. To raise prices at the pump. That, my, Michael, you brought it up great. That's more like an oxymoron, kind of like what my wife describes me as. U.S. shale production is still growing, but at a much slower pace. A combination of cost, inflation, and mixed messages from the Biden administration have left some observers worried about the prospect of peak production. Shale executives say that the peak Permian production will occur this decade. There was a couple uh, oil exec. Scott Sheffield. I love Scott Sheffield, uh, CEO of the largest pure play shale producer. Pioneer Natural Resources told the Financial Times earlier this year, quote, I think people are that are in charge now are three countries and they will be in charge in the next 25 years. Saudi first, UAE second, Kuwait third. Michael, what what do you think that they care about the US oil price? They, they don't. And we're, exactly. we're going to have to start quoting it in Juan. And they're, they're, whatever the BRICS new currency is. That's right. And the the American consumer is absolutely going to get it in the drive through repeatedly. Well, absolutely. You know, and again, I think it's interesting to point out that, you know, higher oil prices don't necessarily mean or excuse me, not higher oil prices, oil prices. You know, when when you go to the gas station, you generally think high oil prices, high price of gas. Well, what happens if production increases as they're saying right prices the price of oil falls because now supply has increased we know 
oil on a macro level is traded on a supply demand, right? but your price at the pump continues to climb. Why is that? What's pointed out here is one, inefficiencies in the marketplace. I mean, they've got right. the ConocoPhillips CEO, Ryan Lance, talking about synergies that can happen. He's talking about M&A that's needed to happen due to the cost of production. And also, how do you take this into a refined product and distribute this? That's still the missing link. This Beaumont facility that ExxonMobil is working on upgrading is critical, in my opinion, to curbing what we what we could see, which is gas prices stay oddly high while oil, as what it's doing now, continue to floats down. So be wary, I, you know, understand the, the, the supply chain isn't just high oil prices, high gas prices. It's a matter of how that's flowing through. And if there's a bottleneck at the refining level, well, guess who takes it in the drive-through, Stu? Yeah. The consumer. Well, but it's also the the EMP operators in the amount of money that's going into drilling. Uh, I'll tell you right now, they're still too short of the amount of money going into drilling to even replace the. But nobody's got the money. I mean, I think that the point is we would oil and gas is to the point. Oil and gas people are bred to dump money into capex. No one. Lo- I mean, that's why you get into the oil business to drill. Nobody gets into the oil business. I mean. There are some people that get into the oil business, I guess, to say to buy royalties or that. But like most people in the industry, what do they like? They like drilling. It's right. Cool to be a company drilling. Why? So if if he, he, people want to do that. So I, I think if if there's room to put more CapEx, it's because the finances aren't there, not necessarily an unwillingness to invest. Well, I agree. Okay. So what's next? Oh, let's go to the Texas. This one I found intriguing, Michael. Texas wind farm affects land temperature. Michael, your second order of effects is always coming up across my mind now after you've taught me how to even say that. The land surface temperature around West Central Texas wind farms warmed at a rate of 0.72 degrees Celsius per decade during the study period relative to nearby regions without wind farms. An effect most likely caused by the turbulence in the turbine wakes acting like fans to pull down warmer air from higher altitudes at night. Okay, here's where I think that this study's onto something, Michael. And what are you laughing at? No, just go. This is this is actually onto something because the wind patterns have changed from the oceans coming in and the amount of vegetation, why do you think California's in droughts? I think the wind farms are kicking in and having some changes. People are not wanting to admit that. Okay. Well, let's, okay. Well, let's go back to the article. I I appreciate it. But can I, can I be brutally honest? Yep. I don't care about (laughs) Celsius degree increase. Like, I don't care if this is all, the externalities, and I know it's not, but if you told me this was the only externality of wind farms, not it's that I'm not. for them. I think they're a huge waste of capital, but I'm not against them. Oh, I'm not either, Michael, but they <laughs> so are I, not. I just, when I read this, I was like, hmm, well, we got to come up with something. We better come up with a better argument than we've warmed at a rate of West Texas, of all places, has warmed 0.7 degrees well, Celsius per decade. Like. I'm good. 
like that. Okay. That does. Here's nothing. the thing. I, I'm I'm all about the lowest cost kilowatt per hour to get it to the population. And you can't do it with wind under its current format. I thought this was interesting from the standpoint that all of the climate hounds are out there saying that it's the greenhouse gases from oil and gas when actually nobody's looking at the overall secondhand smoke. I mean, excuse me, the secondhand uh, effort uh, or whatever you want to call it from wind farms and the eagles and the whales and the temperature. Yeah. I mean, I'll go a step further. Like I don't really, really care that much about the whales. I know that sounds horrible to say, but like, I really don't like if a few whales, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I, I, I hate to say it. Like there's a level at which I'll care if every whale in the world died because of offshore wind farms, I'd be like, no, we shouldn't do that. But if, but if the solution oh, 10% of whales, you're killing go, me. I, I'll cut that so check. sad that I am more of a environmentalist than you are. Well, holy smokes. Uh, George Soros is actually calling for you. Let me take this for you. Hey, George. Oh, yeah, Stu's submitting his resume right now. <laughs> no, George Soros could care less about the environment. All he wants to do is mess with people's. I'm mostly being facetious, but if 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 this is all we're dealing with is a slight temperature increase, mm, I'm good. Next, I love it. Hey, it sounds like finances, but if Kerry calls, I want him on the the podcast since he was looking like he was a ski slope guy. We've we've got every we've got calls out to everybody. Kerry Graham home. Yeah, and, even the CIA director. But uh, oh yeah, we'll, and we'll, we'll, and her uh, her kid, her and uh, Fetterman's kid. Fetter, Fetter home. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, it was a tough day in the markets, guys. As I mentioned in the open, we saw, you know, specifically on the oil side, we saw, you know, what was a four or 5% drop yesterday turned into a four or 5% drop today. And in the last two days, we've tumbled from 70 over $76 to $67. So, you know, about a $9 decrease over the last two days, generally due to the macro environment the macro finance environment that's going on right now into the United States um, as sort of the, the talk of the finance world was today, Fed chair Jerome Powell did come out and release its latest um, rate hike bringing, um, which was confirming a quarter of a percentage point increase, which brought the benchmark funds rate to five to five uh, for the range of five to 5.25 percent. All 11 Fed uh, voting members on the on, on the governor's board did agree to this. So there was no there was no wavering. He, it, it, what came out of it was really, ups, you know, obviously there's there's the interview that he does after, which is highly, highly listened to. And, you know, I'm scrolling through literally all of his comments right now. They've got it quoted here on CNBC. Um, you know, there could be rate cuts soon. I mean, I think this is part of why the. S&P, you know, oil obviously is down four, four and a half percentage points, but the S&P is only down about seven tenths of a percentage point. So yes, not a great day for the market, but not as horrible. Again, we expected a 25 basis points increase. But one of the interesting quotes that came out of it was, we on the committee have a view that inflation is going to come down, come down not so quickly. It will take some time. And in that world, what if that forecast is broadly right, it would not be appropriate to cut rates and we won't cut rates. So even though the market, the, the markets knew that, okay, yes, all of this banking stuff is happening. Um, we may, we, we're probably still going to see rate increases. Powell comes out and confirms it. So 
that's sort of how it works. What does the street think? The street thought, yes, there's going to be an increase and he's going to come out and say, we're going to keep increasing. He came out today and said, yeah, I mean, we're going to keep increasing, but in his next breath, so he just comes up and says, you know, we have a view that inflation is not going to come down quickly, which means they're going to not cut rates and we won't cut rates. And in the next breath says, there are no promises on this, but it seems to me that it's possible we can continue to have cooling in the labor market labor market without big increases in unemployment, which could lead and avoid. And he goes, dot, dot, dot. I think the case of avoiding a recession, in my view, is more likely than that of having a recession. So according to the Fed chair, who theoretically is the smartest man, financial man in the country, he doesn't think we're heading into a recession. So Stu has to balance that with his own thought. I don't know whose side I'm on in this debate. I don't know where the vibe is. So I'll make sure to keep working on that. But it is interesting that those two comments right there, Stu, were kind of bookmarked as why we saw oil drop more than we saw the overall markets, because it really is two dynamically opposed views. Uh, I think he's an idiot. And uh, the only way that we can get out of inflation, I think you've heard me say this before, lower interest rates to almost nothing. Fix the energy crisis and lower all the energy prices, get good energy policies and quit printing money. That's the, the only problem, way. The problem is it. 0% interest rates is printing money. I mean, that's, no, that's I said, low, interest rate. did you listen to what I said? I said, lower the interest rates. I didn't say 0% money. Okay. 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 We, we, okay. Powell got us here by his stupidity. In fact, he he took he he continued the stupidity of numerous Fed chairs before we've had zero percent interest rates since 2008. I don't really you know, whatever. He's got knuckles dragging. He's got calluses on the back of his knuckles because he walks along like McGilla Gorilla. I'm not defending Jay Powell by any stretch of the imagination. I think he's 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 been dealt a hard deck of cards and he's played them horribly. That, the, both things can be true. You can be I, I would agree. Deck and you can play those cards really wrong. I agree with you. Should you know, the problem is the Fed has a hammer and they see every problem as a nail. The only thing they can do is increase rates to bring down wages. I mean, he literally yeah. said, quote, wage increases have been moving down. That's a good sign down to more sustainable levels. I mean, that's what this dude thinks. I mean, this is why, again, I'm ultimately on your side. You shouldn't like the Federal Reserve. They literally are quoted saying we want to drive wages down. Screw you. I want my wages to go up. Right. Uh, I want my politicians to quit spending money. Yeah. But not again, I say all that to say, I don't think Jay Powell is a dumb guy. I think he's in a rock and a hard place. We're in a situation and there's a lot of things to balance. And I've been in rooms where the best idea does not move forward because it's not politically popular. That's how it happens. I mean, you know, Stu, you think you think this is an independent. The Fed is an independent, non-political party. You're out of your mind. Politicians, you should run for Fed board. Um, A couple other things. Let's quickly move over to before we leave crude oil. We did see about a three, three and a half million barrel draw from the the crude oil strategic reserve, which is in line with the API or API's estimation yesterday. um, So or on Tuesday. So that's that that didn't. Didn't do much to help buoy oil prices. Another interesting note, Haynesville natural gas production reached a record in March of 2023. This is out of um, the EIA, but courtesy the world's greatest website, Energy Newsbeat. Dry gas production for the Haynesville shale play 
in northwest in northeastern Texas reached new highs in March 2023, averaging 14.5 billion cubic feet per day, 10% more than that annual average of 13.1. That that is so huge, Stu. A 10% increase of natural gas. That's what $9 natural gas does. People get, woo, let's get Natty Gas crazy and be interesting to see how those wells pay out specifically at these decks. But Haynesville natural gas going off, not doing great for natural gas prices, currently trading $2.15. We saw about a, a percent and a half decline, or not a percent and a half, about a tenth of a percent decline today um, from earlier around 220 being open. Um, as you listen to this tomorrow, we will see the uh, um, EIA natural gas storage numbers estimation around 57 BCF build. So we're back into, into build season. Um, we are a little bit, um, it's going to be a little bit on the higher of a range for that five-year min-max but we will uh, we will see what it comes in at. I think the only other thing, Stu, I'd be interesting to, to mention is is Callen did a little acquisition divestiture combo move. Um, in one in one hand, um, they they um, uh, purchased Permian based percussion operating two in an all cat or a cash and stock transaction valued somewhere around four hundred and seventy five million with potential contingency payments of sixty two point five million under specific price deck things. Percussion is going to get about. 265 million of cash and about 6.4 million shares of common stock. The transaction is structured as the acquisition by Cal Patrol is. So they're basically taking over 100% of whatever this operating to is because it looks like there's two funds they're acquiring from. So interesting there. Um, in a separate agreement, Callan decides to exit the Eagleford shale to Ridgemar Energy operating 655 million in cash and potential contingency payments of up to 45 million. And it, both of these are going to simultaneously close here July of 2023, but will be effective January 2023. Um, basically, what it does is it shifts Callan all the way from being split between the Permian and the Eagleford. Boom. Now, all of a sudden, they're streaming right now in the Permian. You know, this helps improve their margins. Um, you know, they're going to claim their key financial metrics as always are going to increase. You know, this acquisition this is I'm reading off the press release here. So take it for what it's worth. Um, acquisition attractively priced at 2.5 next 12 months EV EBITDA, excluding the impact of the contingency payments. There's a three, you know, they're also going to start a $300 million share buyback program over the next two years. That's, you know, those, those uh, percussion operating bros are going to like that. They're a percussion operating company. They're a, a private oil and back company. This is their second go around. They've um, their first at their first acquisition or uh, divestiture was in 2019, 2018, some Lee County, um, Delaware Basin stuff. They got back in the game for percussion number two. They're using Cardinal Capital, um, the PE firm out of Houston. So uh, Cardinal gets a little bit of return here. We'll see what percussion operate or percussion operating three looks like because we know they're we know we know Cardinal's dipping back in the in the box for one more. Ridgemar goes ahead and gets themselves some Eagleford assets. You know I, I don't quite know Callan's position there, so I don't want to speak on what that deal is. Man, so that's a big old piece of money um, considering that six hundred and fifty five million in in cash. I wonder if they pay that in ones. They just wheel over ones. Wands or ones? Ones or one. Maybe they do pay in one. Imagine that. US MA deals start transacting in one. That's the day I'll quit. That's the day I'll just give up and go work for Saudi Aramco, who I'm still waiting for a call, by the way, to sponsor. We're cheap. Very cheap. Only like 50 grand an episode. It's cheap. You got anything else for the day, Stu? We had a long one today. Oh, it was long, but it was fun. It was good, guys. Well, we relax. The markets will come back. If I don't show up on Monday, um, that means the defibrillator wasn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Um, so uh, just we still will have my funeral, but uh, assuming we make it, guys, we'll have our uh, daily uh, or weekly recap, which drops um, um, tomorrow as you got or uh, Friday when you guys listen to this. And then uh, we will be back in full force on Monday to bring you the news from the weekend and get you prepped for the week. So um, we'll let you get out of here, guys. Appreciate you checking us out. World's greatest website, www.energynewsbeat.com. Stuart Turley. I'm Michael Tanner. We'll see you tomorrow, guys. 